Graham. Gosh, a bit odd, isn't it, uh, having a, a sermon on a, te- a text about Pentecost at this time of the year. Uh, but I've chosen this text just because uh, we recognize tomorrow uh, that we're welcoming uh, John to join our church family to lead us uh, and a new season in life at church. And Pentecost is obviously uh, one of those times where we look back to, to the start, to the birth uh, of the church uh, after Jesus was sent to heaven. So it felt appropriate as we look forward uh, to look back to the gift of spirit. Uh, there's so much we can say about Pentecost and about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but I want to come uh, to the passage we've just heard from John chapter 7. Uh, so do have your Bibles uh, open with you in front of you, uh, if you have one along on your phone or such, as we work through this to look at it together. Uh, the main thing that I think God is speaking to us and telling us today from his word is that the Holy Spirit gives life to the people of God. The Holy Spirit gives life to the people of God. Verse 37, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believe were later to receive. This encounter with Jesus takes place at the end of uh, one of the three major festivals in the Jewish calendar, the Festival of Tabernacles. The word tabernacle comes from the Latin word for a dwelling place or tent, and the festival was a reminder to, to the Jewish people of God's provision for their ancestors in the wilderness. The festival began with a Sabbath, a day of rest, Uh, and then continued for a further seven days. Uh, Initially, the people would have built some sort of makeshift tents and booths around Jerusalem to dwell in for the festival, but as Jerusalem became more crowded, that became uh, less practical. What is key to this festival, the Festival of Tabernacles, is the symbolism of water. Now, you might remember um, uh, the stories of Exodus, that during the Exodus, the people became really hungry and thirsty, and they grumbled, didn't they, against Moses. And miraculously, God provided food for them in the form of of manna, a wafer-like bread that tasted like honey. And a little later, God supernaturally brought water forth from a rock for all the people to drink. And you'll know that's the reason why Moses couldn't enter the promised land. Throughout the Old Testament and into the New, there became this hope of a prophet like Moses, who speaks God's word and miraculously provides Uh, water and bread from God, just as Moses had done during the Exodus. And so water formed a key part of the ceremony during the festival, where each day a a golden flagon, a jug, was filled with water from the pool of Siloam and carried up to the temple. The water was then processed around the altar, whilst people recited psalms of praise. And on the seventh day, it would process around the altar seven times. The priest would then fill a silver bowl with this water and a second silver bowl with wine, and the two bowls would be emptied over the altar. This was a festival of great joy and celebration and abundance, celebrating God's goodness to his people for providing for them food and water in the desert, that they would never hunger and never thirst. A continual memorial, a reminder of the works of the Lord. But on the seventh day... Once that that final bowl of water had been poured onto the altar, the celebrations would begin to die down, leading to a final day of rest, a Sabbath 
on the eighth day. I don't know if you caught it, but the great irony is that the people around Jesus have been celebrating the memorial of an event where water continually gushed out of a rock abundantly without ending. But this memorial was repeated year after year with bowls of water that would, that would run dry at the end of a week. And so it's then, in this context, as the festival is drawing to a close, on the last and greatest day as a, a final drop of water has left the bowl onto the altar, that Jesus speaks his words, declaring, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Jesus is graphically contrasting this festival of never-ending water, which runs out, with the water he offers. Rivers of living water that flow from within them unceasingly. In Jesus' words here, he makes a call which requires a response that comes with a promise. A call which requires a response that comes with a promise. Let's look at these together briefly. Firstly, Jesus makes a call in verse 37. Let anyone who is thirsty. I wonder, have you ever known real thirst, like a, like a dryness of throats? Imagine those men and women in the wilderness with their children, wandering in the exodus, dry and parched, dry to the point of death even. They cry out to Moses, did you bring us out and our children out into the wilderness so that we would die of thirst? Thirsty to the point of death. This is what the people around Jesus are remembering at this festival. This is what they're celebrating, God providing miraculously water in their time of greatest physical need. But Jesus speaks to them and to us. Not about our, our physical thirst, but instead about our spiritual thirst. This is not like being out in the sun yesterday or last week thinking, ooh, I fancy a nice cold glass of Diet Coke. This isn't a, a fancy or a desire. No, it's, it's a need, a, a life or death situation. A first like in the wilderness. Do you know you're thirsty? Do you know that your soul pants after divine water? Because this is the first thing about Jesus' message. We need to know that we are thirsty to know that we need to drink. And Jesus is making a call to all people, anyone who is thirsty, who recognizes their need for spiritual refreshment. A call, but that recall requires a response for all who hear it. Jesus continues, anyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me. You see, it's not simply enough to know that you're thirsty. You must take action to do something about it. Although Jesus' call is to anyone who is thirsty, 
not everyone will receive the water he offers. Because to receive it requires you to come to Jesus and to drink. This might take your minds back to John chapter 4 and Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well of Samaria. Where he says to her, everyone who drinks this water from this well will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. The Israelites who grumbled against Moses in the desert didn't just stare at the water gushing out of the rock. Thought, oh, that looks nice. What a miracle. I might come back later and have a sip. No. They were thirsty to the point of death. They, they put their mouths to the spring and they sucked and drank. Brothers and sisters, this is not a, a passive call to stare at the water Jesus offers, but a cry from him for us to come and drink, to be nourished. We were thirsty, parched to the point of death. We need to drink. What does it mean to drink this water Jesus offers? Well, it's simple, isn't it? It means to believe in Jesus. That's the response. That's what it means to drink. The only way we can receive this water, the only way we can receive this nourishment and life-giving benefits is by believing in him who offers it to us. It means believing that what the Bible tells us about humanity is true. That all people, everyone, is on a one-way ticket heading for judgment. Remember Peter's words to the sermon at uh, uh, the crowd at Pentecost? What did they do? What do they need to do to be saved? They asked Peter. To receive the nectar that satisfies their thirst. Peter told them on that first Pentecost, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. To believe in Jesus requires repentance, turning around and turning away from all that is against God in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Turning towards him. Jesus who lived the perfect life that you and I could never live, a life of obedience, dying the death on a cross, taking the punishment that our sins deserved. Jesus who was raised to new life, assuring them and us of our own resurrection to come. Jesus who now lives and reigns at God's right hand in heaven to this very day and until he comes again in glory. That's the gospel. That's what you need to believe. Your house, your job, your money, your spouse your children, your education, your addictions, your appearance, your talents. They can't save you. They can't satisfy you. You know that. Because Jesus is the only one who can. Believe in Jesus that he really is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, as John the Baptist declares. Believe in Jesus who really is the bread of life. 
Who is better than miraculous manna God provided for his people in the desert? We repent and believe in Jesus as he has revealed himself in the scriptures. Who Peter declares at the end of John chapter 6 has the words of eternal life. Drink Jesus in his word. Soak yourself in him. Believe in who he is and what he has done for you. And for those who do, who hear the call, who make a response, there's a promise. Jesus adds that for those who drink from him, of him, by believing in him, that rivers of living water will flow from within them. Living water, Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, would be a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Remember, the Holy Spirit gives life to the people of God. That's living water. All of us who, who sit here today and believe in Jesus, who have repented and turned to God, drinking from him in his word, have rivers of living water flowing within us. The Jewish people still celebrate the festival of tabernacles, still pouring out their water over the altar, still hoping for a prophet like Moses to return and bring forth living water from the rock. But brothers and sisters, he has come. And he has placed inside of each of us who call him Lord an eternal wellspring, the Holy Spirit, giving life. That turns our hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. That has brought us from death to life. That moves us from God's righteous wrath and judgment, which leads to hell, to an eternity with him in his presence of joy forever. Remember, the Holy Spirit gives life to the people of God. So a call to everyone to recognize their spiritual thirst and a need for living water. A response needed from each of us to drink from Jesus as he has revealed himself in scriptures. To believe in him with a promise that we will receive his holy and life-giving spirit. Joining us to him now and to each other and to all believers around the world and assuring us of our future with him and them for eternity. But does this mean we who believe in him will never thirst again? The clearest teaching from Jesus on the Holy Spirit in John's gospel comes in chapters 14 to 16. I encourage you to spend time reading it. Here we find that the role of the Holy Spirit is to take the place of Jesus in the life of his disciples after he returns to his Father. The Spirit brings comfort to them, mediating Christ's presence to his disciples and bringing them into union with both Jesus and his Father. It is this relationship with God the Father by his Spirit through his Son, which is the relationship that lasts to eternal life. And it's our human thirst for a relationship with God now, in this life, that his Holy Spirit satisfies for us. 
You might remember that back in the summer, we joined with the world praying, thy kingdom come, that the whole world might give glory to God, and that those who don't yet know God as their Father, Jesus as their Savior, and the Spirit as their life giver might come to do so. But do we realize that it is only the Holy Spirit who can join us with Jesus? It is only He who can bring us eternal life, not our words, not our prayers, not even our appearance. It is He alone. So pray that God will send His Holy Spirit and life-giving Spirit into the hearts of all those who don't yet know Him. That He would bring them to new life through His living water. Remember, the Holy Spirit gives life to the people of God. But the Bible teaches that the Spirit especially works in those in whom the word has been spoken to. What do those 120-odd disciples do on that first Pentecost when they receive God's Spirit? They declare the wonders of God. God's Holy Spirit empowers each of us who have him which is all believers, to declare the wonders of God, achieved through his life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and witnessed and experienced in our own lives. Remember, the Holy Spirit gives life to the people of God. And if you're sitting here today, and you've not yet recognized your thirst, not understood that you are parched to the point of death, Cry out to Jesus. Taste how sweet and refreshing he is in his word. Repent and believe in his name that you would be saved and receive his life-giving Holy Spirit. If this is you, don't leave here today without speaking to me or, or anyone in our church family. We'd love to introduce you to our Lord and Savior and pray that you receive his spirit too. As the band come, let me say a prayer for us. Father God, as we look forward to tomorrow, as uh, John comes to lead us as your under shepherds, we thank you for your spirit who has carried your church, who has enabled your church, who has birthed your church, and who now brings your presence to each of us who believe. Lord, help us to hold fast to you to declare your wonders, empower us to speak your name. And as we look forward to a new season of ministry here, when we look back to to this season, would we do so as a larger family of people who believe in you? Because your spirit has gone ahead of us, drawing others to yourself, and we have been faithful. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.